0: Hey, good morning, Victory. How you doing? Good morning. Um, My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And I do want to say welcome to all of our visitors. So glad you joined us. Don't forget to connect with us after service. Uh, A couple of things. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Go ahead and get there, whether you got it on your phone or whether you got a Bible in your hand. As you're turning, I want to share an announcement as you're getting there. So I I was talking to some people this morning. It's hard to believe that this is only our third week in our building. Come on and give God praise. Third week. Third week. Uh, if you recall, the first week, we kind of got to experience that Easter Sunday vibe as everybody was coming to check it out, and we were maxed out. We had people, uh, overflow room was full, we had people standing in the lobby, and so we knew right then that not only as our people begin to come back, but also as we start to reach out to this community, uh, I, I continue to tell you that we've we've been hesitant to even let the community know we're here uh, until we can get more space available because we believe that the message that we have here at this church Of grace and mercy is going to draw these people in. So one of the things that we're doing is we're planning on Easter Sunday to have two services, to start two services. And so, come on, give God praise for that. Yeah. Look, look. If you knew what it was like to set up curtains in an 800 seat auditorium to hide 600 seats, you would be excited about having to have more room for people that need to hear the gospel. Come on, let me hear it. So, uh, just pumped about that. One of the things that's going to do great for. And allow our V Kids team to be able to set one service, serve a service. And I, I just, again, if you're in here and you've been serving in kids before, I just want to say thank you. Because for four years, if you came to serve in V Kids that Sunday, you didn't go to church that Sunday. You didn't get to experience that. And so I just want to say thank you. And as we get ready on the eve to be able to allow people to serve in those areas, but then also set and experience worship that Sunday, I'm super excited about it. And uh, I said this last week, I'm going to say it until we get there. I need your help. I need your help being able to put on the excellence that we provide uh, in two services. And so what we need is we need more people on our dream team with V Kids, uh, production, worship, growth track, first impressions, those kinds of things. And as you get on the team, uh, we're able to fill those roles and we'll not only be able to launch two services on Easter Sunday, but we'll be able to maintain those two services and be able to reach out to our community. Uh, the summer's gonna be great. We're already planning in the fall to do at the movies that we do. Are you excited about at the movies? And we Every time that brings it, in case you're wondering, every year that we've had Victory Church, we've doubled on Easter Sunday. So however many people we had, we had that many doubled for Easter Sunday. So we're expecting so many people to be in here, and we need you. We need your help. And so here's what we're doing to help you help us, is right after church, Growth Track is available. It's about 30, 40 minutes long. there. We'll watch your kids if you have kids that need to be watched during that. Get the information you need. Join the dream team. Uh, like I said, there's different areas. If there's not an area that you're super excited about, not an area that you feel like is your calling, we're going to ask you to serve in Kids at least for a season as we're getting everything in place to be able to welcome more people in here. And as more people Um, Our teams will grow and so on, but I need your help. And so if you're not already serving on a dream team, do that for us. Go ahead and go to GrowTrack. You got this Sunday and next Sunday uh, that you can attend GrowTrack and get on the team before Easter Sunday. And I'm just telling you, you want to be a part of this, right? And here's how I'll prove to you. If you're in here and you're on a dream team and you're so excited that you serve on Victory's dream team, let me hear you give God praise for a second. (laughs) All right. So nobody's mad about it. All right. Nobody's mad about it. You get to be a part of some great stuff and just be excited about what God's doing. And I feel like we lay our heads on our pillow at night go, man, God, thank you for letting me be part of seeing lives change. So it's exciting. Amen, church. All right, so if you haven't been, attend Grow Track this Sunday. If you can't this Sunday, make sure to be a part of it next Sunday, and we'll be ready to rock and roll and see something pretty impressive on Easter Sunday. All right, Luke chapter 15, go ahead and get there. Uh, I believe we're going to start at verse 11, I think it is. It might be wrong, it might be verse 15, but you'll be around in that area, you'll be right. Um, what we've been doing, verse 11, I was right, Luke 15, verse 11. What's going on in Luke chapter 15 is we're breaking down the parable of the prodigal son, and so every week we've been kind of breaking it down and looking at different truths from it, And in this particular chapter, Jesus uses three stories. A parable is when he would take a story to illustrate his point. So his point is real, but he would create this story to help send that point home. And so he has three stories in Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And what we're really focusing on is the lost son. In the beginning of this, he surrounds himself with two people. The the, the first group is what they say, the tax collectors and the sinners. So it was the people who were lost, who were far from God. And then you also find out that the religious are listening as well. So as Jesus is telling this story, he's telling it to the lost people, but the religious people are also listening. And so we're going to see today how Jesus actually begins to speak to both parties. All right. So we're going to start reading at verse 11. I'll set it up, and then we'll dig deep into it. Jesus continued. Uh, Here's how the story begins. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give to me the share of my estate. So your, the father's estate would be split up between the sons. There were two, so the, the majority of it, uh, two-thirds of it, would go to the older son. One-third would go to the younger son. younger son says, give me my estate. So he, defi- he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So his inheritance that he took, he squandered it in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that entire country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating because he was starving and he had nothing, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet here I am starving to death. So I'm going to set out, and I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. Now, I want you to watch this first sentence, because even though, or last sentence, even though it's not the sentence that birthed the idea of this message, it's the sentence that is going to be underlining the point of this message. Here's what the son says to the father. For I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. That's going to be important towards the end of the message. I talked to you for just a moment this morning from this idea. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? I think there is something in all of us that we're constantly trying to answer that question. And I think we've all had moments where we tried to fit in somewhere that we didn't belong because we were trying to find where we did. So so we want to belong in an area not quite sure where that is, so we start trying to fit into areas where we don't belong because we want to belong, and because of my history, because I'm a pastor that doesn't drink coffee and doesn't play golf well, uh, because I'm a man who doesn't know how to operate, you know, power schools, uh, I I told my wife, I said, when we get our forever house, I want a shop in our garage, and she said to me, why? (laughs) That's what she said, and so, you know, she was just curious as to what I was going to do with that space. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I've always tried to figure out where I belong. I found out yesterday that I do no longer belong playing basketball with people anymore because I got injured standing there. You know, I don't, I'm don't. I've I'm officially old now, guys. I'm there. Um, but, but as I was trying to process my mind through all the times in my life where I was trying to find out where I belonged and I tried to fit in, you know, even though I couldn't belong, I thought about this story and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, Brian and Erica, when Erica's my assistant, her husband Brian, when when they got married, uh, Brian and I were best friends since high school, when when, when they got married, I was the best man in the wedding, but we were also really young, Uh, I think we were a couple years removed out of high school, so I graduated at 17, so I was maybe 19, 20 years old, okay? and uh, it comes time, you know, they're getting married, and because I'm the best man, I have to plan the bachelor party, right? That's kind of how that goes, but I was both a Christian and broke, okay? So planning a bachelor party was real interesting for me because we were not going to do the traditional, you know, bachelor party, and I didn't have any money to do anything extravagant. So we start talking, and here's what he decides. He decides he's going to rent a prowler, Y'all know what a Prowler is? The car? All right, it's a real, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollar, you know, car, really nice. And he's going to, his parents are going to pay for it, thank God. And so we're going to rent it. And in Memphis, where we lived, what you would do downtown is you just kind of drove around this circle in downtown Memphis. You went real slow. And the point of it was for everybody to see you. You, you know, it was really funny, like just see me in my car, know that I'm cool, you know, that kind of thing. So we were going to rent this prowler, yellow prowler. I, I couldn't find the picture before service, but I'm going I'm to try to put it on Facebook this week. But we rented the prowler, and, and we were going to drive it around Memphis. So, so we were trying to belong, okay? We had, let's just say, a $200,000 car. We made, you know, $7 an hour in our job, right? And we're trying to pretend like we belong. And right off the bat, just by looking at us, you would know we didn't belong. Like I had on a white tee, baggy jeans, Timberland boots, And those chains you get from the thing in the mall where the people sell. You know what I'm talking about? That's what we look like. So right off the bat, we didn't look like we belonged. But here's what made it worse. The prowler had bucket seats, all right? So Brian's tall. So Brian, if he sat in the seat, you could still see him. But when I sat in the seat, I, I went so low, you couldn't see me. I was like looking over the door like this. So we put four phone books, all right? Young people, phone books are these things that they, they're about this big, and they have everybody's number in them. So we put four of them in the seats so that I could set up and be seen as we're riding in the prowler, all right? But here was the moment. If we already weren't sure that I didn't belong in this prowler, here was the moment. We decided we wanted to eat dinner. Before we went down to Memphis, downtown Memphis, we were going to drive around, we wanted to eat dinner first. And because I couldn't provide for the prowler, I said, I'll provide dinner. You know what I mean? I'll provide a meal for you for your bachelor party. And so because of the paychecks that I was earning, the only obvious place to go was Taco Bell. So that's where we went. So not lying to you, in the Taco Bell in Memphis, we pull up in this yellow prowler, all right? And I'm sitting on phone books and we go into Taco Bell and I tell him, brother, I got 20 bucks, man, make it last. You know what I'm saying? Make it last. So it was just obvious. I was just thinking about that, the fact that I did not belong there. I think that there's this natural instinct in all of us to belong, you know, whether it's socially or economically, whether it's to a people group or to a purpose. There's just something in us naturally from, from the moment we're born that we want to belong. And in our culture, we're so desperate to belong that, watch this, we've actually got people now creating new circles and new identities because they no longer feel like there's an existing circle where they belong. So we're actually creating circles because we feel like the existing circles, we don't belong. So we need to create something that, therefore, we can feel like we belong. I was thinking about our students and the difficulty you have right now in school trying to belong. First of all, just so you know, I woke up this morning, prayed up, ready to preach, and I walked out and my entire car was rolled by y'all. So thank you for that, by the way. Appreciate that. All right. I'm pre- You're going to the altar today. And so... Uh, you know, but, but I was just thinking through people, you know, if you're married, whether you're single, whether you're trying to have kids, whether you have kids, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out where we belong. And even throughout scripture, you constantly see men and women of God trying to find out where they belong because there's something about them that they know is different because they're a child of God. And now they're trying to find where they belong. For example, you've got Joseph who is a dreamer, and anointed by God, and chosen by God, and he's trying to figure out where he belongs with his brothers. You've got David, who was anointed king at a young age, and he's got God's calling on his life, and he's trying to figure out where he belongs with his family. You've got Moses, who was chosen and has a calling on his life, and he's trying to figure out where he belongs amongst the Egyptians. you got Jesus, the Son of God, who is not respected in his hometown, in Nazareth, and he's trying to, like all these people, throughout scripture just trying to figure out where they belong. And I need to lay this foundation for this message. The, the gospel declares that you and I already belong. That's the gospel, that we already belong to Christ. We already belong. But we don't belong based off of our merit or our works. We belong because of what, who God is, his merit, and what God has done through Jesus, his works. You have to be able to understand that. That we belong, we already belong, but we already belong because of God. We were actually born belonging, okay? Now this might be a little bit on your theology because you go, wait a minute, Scripture says that we were born sinners. We were. We were born into sin, but the Bible says that God reconciled himself to humankind through Christ. So because of what God did, we were actually born belonging, And that's what I want us to talk about for just a moment, because when we can get the right perspective of the Father, not only do we realize where we belong, which is to Christ, but we can actually, watch this, go back to where we belong. And I think that's important. And when you read the story of the Prophet 15, one of the biggest issues is not that he does not have a place where he belongs, it's that he's refusing to go back to where he belongs. And why? And why do we? If we know we belong to Christ, then why are there moments in our life when we are running as far as we can away from him? If we know we have a place where we belong, why are we so hesitant to go back to where we belong? And I'm going to show you something today that I think I know it's relevant for me and I hope it's relevant for you. And if if we really grasp it, I think it's going to be life-changing for us. So first, let's go back to Luke 15 because I want to show you what started this thought to begin with. Luke 15:13 through 16 and it starts like this Not long after that the youngest son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country Now that was interesting to me that he set off to be far away from home because his behavior you see his behavior as a son was incorrect because he asked for his inheritance early That's not how a good son behaves And so because of his behavior, he then decided that he needed to get as far away from the father as he could. He left where he belonged, and he went somewhere that he didn't belong, and he tried to fit in. Okay, That's what's happening in these couple of verses. You've got a son who belongs in the presence of his father, but something happens to make him believe that he doesn't. So he runs away from the father to a different place, and he tries to belong here. You see, what we think about ourselves and what we think about God tends to shape where we believe we belong. How we think about ourselves, how we think about the Father, has an impact on how you and me believe where we belong. It doesn't matter. Whatever the situation is, if I came to you and we started talking about where you think you belong, You're going to make decisions based off how you view yourself and how you view God. But watch this. When we lose track of where we belong, we will find ourselves in places that we shouldn't be approving of things that we should be against. When we don't know where we belong and we lose track of it, we will look up and realize that we are somewhere we shouldn't be approving of things that we should be against. Let me tell you what I mean. Notice that it said he left for a distant country, and then he ended up working with these pigs. That's important for you to understand that that's more than just nasty, okay? In Jewish culture, in Jewish custom, uh, they, they were all against pigs, all against that. They didn't touch them. They were an unclean animal is what they called them. So they didn't touch them. They didn't eat them. And you certainly didn't hang out in their pig pen and try to raise them, Okay? That just wasn't their custom. It wasn't their culture. So the entire, this kid's entire life, he's been raised up in a place where he belongs with his father, raised up to be taught that this is wrong, that you don't do this. But because he feels like he doesn't belong, because something happened that made him feel like he didn't belong, he ran away from the father, and now he is doing something. He's doing something that he doesn't normally do to try to... Fit in. It's important for us to be able to grasp this idea for a second, to just stop back and realize this right here that he allowed what he did to cause him to go away from who he was. He, he allowed what he did, asking for his inheritance early, squandering his inheritance on living, to mess up, to, to skew the idea of who he was. I actually believe the son hesitated to come back to the father to begin with because of his behavior. You see, at some point, you and I started teaching, or and let me not say that. that, that sounds wrong. At some point, we started believing that in order to belong, we must first learn how to behave, right? Like in order, and some, something happened. Something happened in our culture. Something happened in our conversation. Something happened in theology that we were taught. And at some point, we begin to believe that in order for us to belong, we had to behave. I, I've told some of y'all this story, but I, I want a lot of you weren't here then when I told this story, so it'll be new to you. Um, but when I was pastor, Darn and I were youth pastors, we got the opportunity to travel around and speak to all kinds of youth groups and different things like that. And I got invited one time to speak to a place called Jamestown tennessee all right jamestown tennessee probably has a population of like eight people i don't know it's just it's an interesting place okay um so we get invited to this youth camp It's probably 150 kids something like that and i brought my youth band with me so i had a a youth band and scout y'all know scout uh he was on the youth band of other people you don't know but we show up to this event and and i am who i was then i am now and so we get there, and uh, the, we get ready for the first service, and it's just an awesome service. The worship team did a phenomenal job. I preached my heart out. It, you know, We had a great time, a lot of kids praying around the altar, all kinds of stuff. We go to bed, we wake up that morning, and the guy who asked me to come speak at the camp calls me in for a meeting. And he says, hey, man, I need to talk to you. He says, uh, I think it was great. I enjoyed it. It was awesome. I love how God moved. He said, but a lot of the parents who are here, have some issues with you in the worship band because what was happening is all the parents had come as like the leaders and the chaperones, you know, and I said, okay, well, what, you know, that's fine. What's the problem? He said, well, they don't like the fact that a lot of the people on, on your worship team have earrings and tattoos and, and you have tattoos. And I was like, okay, like that's unfortunate, but this isn't my first rodeo. I'm used to this, you know, uh, I was like, I can't remove them, you know, so uh, I said, but but don't panic. Here's what I'll do. I said, I'll get the whole, everybody who has earrings, obviously, except for the girls, I'll have them take them out, and then all of us who have tattoos, we'll just wear long sleeves and stuff, we'll cover them up, no big deal, let's, let's focus on Jesus, and he's like, okay, great, 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 so we go through the day, during the day, they would do all these events, and then me and the band, we would go, you know, travel all of Jamestown, so it took about 11 minutes, and then we would come back, and... Um, The next night comes And it's a great night God moves Worship's awesome Um, You know Kids praying around the altar The next morning The guy calls me Or whatever it was And he said Hey can we meet again I said yes And so I walk in I was like Was it better You know We were sweating But we were covering our tattoos You know Was it better And he said Oh thanks for doing that He said "The, The parents still have issues And I was like what are the issues now? He said, "Well, they didn't like the fact that your worship team was all jumping up and down during the worship time." And they were, my worship team was insane. So they were all over the place. They they were just excited that they were saved. And so, you know, they were jumping up and down and all this kind of stuff and I was like, "Man, look. It's like that's hard for me to go tell them not to do that because they're excited about their salvation." You know, I said, "But, you know, I don't I, it's all for Jesus. I want these kids to hear Jesus so we'll go be lame like you guys." And so we got ready the next night and, and you know, it was so funny to watch them because they're like playing the piano and you can see their legs, you know, they're like tapping, you know, they, everything in them wants to jump up and down, but they don't. And this continued all week. There was something, I'm not lying to you, every morning he would call me in the meeting and be like, man, here's the deal, like you said this or you said that and I was just like, man, you got to be kidding me. So the last day comes and I'm, we're going to preach that night or have service that night and then we're going to leave early the next morning. We're done. We're out of there. And so it's our last actual day there. And I'm telling the team, I'm like, hey, look, just hang tight. Let's just focus on Jesus. Let's get through this, okay? So we go to, they, I'm not lying to you, they have an award ceremony that day. So we go to the award ceremony. in the band. We're just kind of sitting on the back of the wall watching, just being silly, making wisecrack jokes, you know, that kind of stuff. And they get, you know, any award ceremony, it's always the, the final award is always the best award. You know what I mean? It's like best picture or whatever. And so get to the final award, and I promise this is what happened they come over the, sp- the phone and the-, the microphone, and they go, last award is the most spiritual award. I was like, how do you win that? I, I was looking at the band. I was like, how do you even do that? Like, what do you have? How, m- how many Bible verses do you have to memorize? How many churches do you have to attend? Like, you know, you have to, like, not look at people and not eat bread. Like, like what do you have to do to be most spiritual? So we're sitting back watching. And I'm like, guys, I would never win this, Jeff. I would never win it. And so... We're waiting, and they say this kid's name, and this kid had been the highlight all week. He had every solo, he sung it. Every drama, he was the main actor. Every verse memorization, he said it. You know, every service after I preached, he'd come up and be like, that was a great word, Pastor, I think, in the book of Galatians when you said it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, like, he was just, he was the man. And, And I watched him walk up and win the most spiritual award. And I looked at the band right there, and I was like, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. We can't be here. <laughs> we, we don't win most spiritual awards. Like this is, so, so it came time for service that night, and I, I, I said to the Lord, I said, I'm just going to preach my heart out. Like, I'm going I to preach to the parents. I'm not even going to preach to the kids. Because they can't. They, what are they going to do now? I'm leaving tonight. They can't do anything to me. <laughs> uh, I'm clearly never being invited back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't even think that guy's my friend anymore. Like, I'm, it's not happening. So I'm just going to let it go. So we're, we're in the, the auditorium was kind of outside, but it had a roof. It was kind of open walls, and we get in there, and I mean, I am just, just going after it. I preached a message I did called The Dark Room, and I talked about how all of our sin is developed in the dark, and how a lot of times we're pretending like we're one thing and all this kind of stuff, and I just, I just gave it all I had, and I was so emotionally invested that when I was done preaching, I just walked off and went to the side of the auditorium because the parents ran the altar calls. We, we weren't allowed to. So I just preached, and then I walked right off and went to the, the side there, and I just got on my knees and started praying. I was, just, I was so emotionally just exhausted from the week. And so a long time went by. I don't know the exact time, but a long time went by. And one of my band members came and got me and said, you know, Pastor Troy, I, I think you need to see this. And so I got up, and I said, what is it? And we came over to the altar, and there was like 10 people gathered around this one individual. It was like adults and other kids, and then some of my band members were involved because the adults had asked my band members to get involved in praying. And I walk over, and I'm like, what what is happening? I don't know what's happening. And and one of the parents got up and came to me, and they said, "Uh, it's so-and-so, the guy who had won the most spiritual award. And he said, he just admitted that he's addicted to porn. He just admitted that he's been trying to live this life and, and he can't. He's been faking it. He's crying. All He's repenting. All these kinds of things. And I was like, praise God. It's like, see what tattoos and earrings do? I didn't say that. But... But I, I, you know, I watched, it was amazing. Here's this guy who's been trying to behave so that he belongs, and the gospel just went after him. Jesus just smacked him in the face, and he's repenting, and God is healing him. And I went over to my buddy before I left, because we left late that night. Funny story, after this service, the kids were actually trying to get the band members autographs. How interesting is that, right? I said, if y'all sign that, you're going to hell. You don't do that. Okay. And so so, so I went over to my friend who was running the whole thing before I left, and I said, listen, so we're about to in the car about to leave. And, and, and I'll, just, I'll just say his name's Mark because I don't want to use the kid's name. I said, when Mark is done at the altar, you make him feel like he belongs just as much as you did when he was winning the most spiritual award. Yeah. Don't you let that man get off the altar and feel like because his behavior is off, now all of, all of a sudden he's not, he doesn't matter, right? And there's just something going on here in our culture today where we think that in order to belong, we we must first learn how to behave. And when we started Victory Church, we started with this saying. And the saying was, you can belong before you believe. That, That was the saying we started with. You can belong before you believe. And listen, if you're not careful, especially those that have been raised in certain religious arenas, a phrase like that messes with you. Because you walk away going, wait, 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 wait. How can you belong before you believe? What if that person doesn't believe what you believe and da, da 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 And I'm like, if you follow the life of Jesus, Jesus was constantly saying, hey, follow me. He wasn't first, hey, can I see your credentials? Can we walk through, you know, how many, how many scriptures have you memorized? How many times have you been in the synagogue? Let's talk through that and then you can follow me. It was immediately you can belong and then believe. So I want to introduce a new saying to you, that if you belong before you believe rubs you wrong, this is going to make you miserable. Okay? You ready? Here's the new phrase. You can belong before you behave. All right? Now listen, I know know those shallow claps are good. I appreciate them. You got some people who are like, hallelujah, right? Because you know how we behave. And then you got some people who are like, I don't know, theologically that's kind of off. And, and, and I understand, by the time we're done, I think you'll be, you'll be good with me. But let me, just, let me just show you something real quick. Peter was already a disciple when he cut off the soldier's ear, right? Peter was already a disciple when he denied Jesus. Peter was already a disciple when he cussed out the young lady in the courtyard, Moses was already chosen by God when he murdered the Egyptian in broad day. David was already chosen by God when he spied on Bathsheba and had her husband killed. My point is that as you follow scripture, Old Testament all the way into New Testament, this is actually what I think Jesus came to to really bring to focus, is that you can belong before you behave. See, here's the order we're being taught. You ready? Here's the order that that culture, especially the church, is teaching. The order is this. If first you'll learn how to behave, then we will know that you believe and now you can belong. Am I right? I'm already hearing yeses because you know I'm right. If you behave, listen to me, if you behave, then, then because you behave, we know you're a believer. And if you behave and you're a believer, then you can belong with us because we're such good behaviors. Don't even get me started on that. All right. (laughs) But when you follow the life of Jesus, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you belong. You belong. Right now, you belong. Not because of your behavior, but because of Christ's behavior. You belong. And then watch this. Now that you know you belong, you'll be able to believe. And the more you believe, more it will impact how you behave. Do you see? It was important. We, we switched to we switched belong and behave. If I behave if I just if I, if I learn how to behave if I don't do and I do do and I don't do and I do do then all of a sudden that was awkward. Uh, see this is why the, the parents didn't want me preaching. Uh, but but if, I, if I learn to belong or if I learn to behave then I'm all of a sudden this Christian I'm a believer. Now I belong in the circle of Christians, the most spiritual people who deal with nothing. Right? Jesus says no. Jesus' whole purpose in arriving was listen, I'm going to die for your sins, so you belong. You belong. I belong. You belong. But what did I? Don't worry about that. You belong. You belong because God reconciled humankind to himself through Jesus. You belong. Now that you belong, now because you belong, you can learn to believe. And the more you learn to believe, the more it automatically impacts how you behave. The reason why this, I want this to always be my life message is because this is how God got me. Because when I walked into Raleigh Assembly of God in Memphis, Tennessee, the last thing I knew how to do was behave. I was a hot mess. But here's what was so cool is people took me in. There was a couple that treated me like their kid. They were here two weeks ago when we launched this building. The husband helped me uh, uh, conversate or negotiate the building to begin with. My pastor, who made me feel like I belong long before I believe is going to preach the Sunday after Easter, right here. These are people who made me, I felt like I belonged. You know what I did? I kept coming to church. And because I felt like I belonged, I kept coming to church. And the more I came to church, the more I learned the Bible, and the more I began to believe. And the more I began to believe in Jesus, and the more I began to read his scriptures, and the more I began to understand what he was saying and why he was saying it, I started to allow my behavior to be impacted by my belief because I understood that God was for me, not trying to just manage me, right? I think it's important to understand that when we behave badly we want to treat ourselves like a servant and God wants to treat us like a son. Now here's the most interesting thing about this parable is when Luke 15 opens up it says he's talking to sinners and tax collectors. So all of this in the first part of the prodigal son story is to the sinners and to the tax collectors. That's his focus. The prodigal son is the sinner. It's the lost person. But the religious people were listening in on the conversation, and Jesus knew it. So Jesus knows that the religious people are listening, and he also knows that their uh, religious concept is behavior defines if you belong. That's, that's what they communicated. It's why when they would pray and fast, they would make it known so everybody would know they were doing it because it was all about behavior. And Jesus knows this. He knows that the people who are listening believe that in order to belong, you got to behave. He also knows the people who are sinners believe it and they believe they'll never be able to behave. So they're okay being sinners. So Jesus gives them the prodigal, but watch this. Then he adds a second character to the story. He starts with the prodigal son for the sinners, but then he brings in a second character into the story for the religious people. Watch this. We got to read this. Together. It is so incredible, so profound. Luke 15, verse 25. I'll read it. Listen to this. Meanwhile, okay, when the son came back, the father throws a celebration. Uh, he gives him a ring, he gives him a robe, he gives him sandals, he kills the fattened calf. We're going to talk about this next week. And listen to me, the message on Easter Sunday is going to be so phenomenal. I, I, I saw something a couple of weeks ago. I texted a friend of mine. I said, I got to give this on Easter because it's rocking my world. It's all about the celebration. You do not want to miss it. If you have somebody who's a prodigal, bring them because I guarantee you when they leave, their life will be changed. All right, a little promotion. All right, here we go. Meanwhile, while the party's going on, the older son was in the field working. And when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. He said, wait a minute, why are people celebrating when I'm working? So he calls one of the servants over and he asked him, hey, man, what's going on? The servant says with excitement, your brother has come. Your brother's back home. The prodigal has returned. And watch this. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back and he's safe and he's sound. And we're about to party like it's 1999. He doesn't even know what 1999 is. The older brother says, yes, praise God. No. The Bible says the older brother becomes angry, mad, and refused to go in. So his father went out, and he pleaded with him. But the older son answered to the father and said, Look, all these years, please watch this. I've been what? Slaving for you. I'm telling you, this is about to set you free. Father, all these years, I've been slaving for you. I I never did anything that he did. I've been working my tail off. I've been earning our relationship and I'm exhausted. And never once, never once, while I was working hard, busting my butt, when I was winning most spiritual awards, never once did you even get a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, I love it, when this son of yours, <laughs> He's not even brother anymore, you know what I mean? Like, when this son of yours, I'm not even sure. Get the paternity test. When he comes, he squandered your property with prostitutes. When he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? This father is in a celebratory mood because the prodigal son has returned. Because he who belonged came back to where he belonged. And so the father's celebrating and the older brother walks in and he gets angry. No, 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 no. No, he, he didn't do what I did. He, he, he didn't get up early. He didn't read that devotion. He didn't do all the things that I did. And all of a sudden it hit me. Watch this. When you think you've earned God's love by being good, you get angry when others receive it by grace. When we think that our relationship with God has been earned because we've been good. We get mad when other people get a relationship with God by grace. But when you understand that we both got it by grace, I don't care when you get it, and I don't care how much of it you get, because I got it the same way you got it. No matter how good I thought I was, I was never good enough. So praise God. And I couldn't get off my mind that statement where he said, I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving for you. That word slaving, here's what that means. I've been working my tail off. I should not I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm slaving for you. And then all of a sudden this hit me. The older son believed that belonging was based on his behavior. So watch this. So his relationship with the father was exhausting. Because he thought that his relationship with his father was 100% based on his behavior. Therefore, his relationship with his father was exhausted. You ever met somebody who's trying to live for God out of works? They're exhausted. Because they're constantly trying to be good enough. And they'll never be. You ever met somebody who understands their relationship with God is based off grace? They ain't got time to be exhausted because they're cutting front flips and cartwheels because they understand it's not about them. When we were in Memphis, we have a a team there called the Memphis Grizzlies. Y'all familiar with this NBA basketball team? We like to go to their games. And so, but as as I've told you before, we're... Uh, how do you call it, broke, and so in trying to figure out how to go to the games, we would get like the cheap tickets, you know what I mean, like like the up, up, up seats where there's like, you know, when nobody's behind you, you know what I'm talking about, or you feel like you're leaning over like this, so we're at a game one time, ticket cost me like, I think they paid me for the ticket, you know what I mean, it was that bad, and Darla sees like some empty seats down closer, she says, hey, let's go down to those empty seats, well, I'm a, I'm a man of the cloth, so I do things like that, right? That's, that's wrong. And so I love the laughter. Uh, so I was like, no, babe, that's, that's not what we do. It's not, it's not fair. And she's like, YOLO, let's go, you know? And so I did what every husband does. I went where she wanted to go. And so go down to this seat. We're way down in the seat, but it's not our seat. This is not, we, don't, we didn't buy the ticket for this seat. So we get into the row and the game starts. Out first quarter, so we moved out. She's like, oh, you know, if they're not there yet, they're not coming. I said, that's not how these games work. Like, come second quarter, third quarter. So she's having a blast. She's eating popcorn. She's cheering on the Grizzlies. I am a nervous wreck, all right? I'm sitting in the seat, and every time somebody walks by me, I'm like, oh, is this your seat? Is this your seat? Like, they're not even looking at me, you know what I am mean? Like, hey, sir, is this your seat? I'm just making sure. I just accidentally sat in your seat. I'm sorry. I was so worried that somebody was going to come along it belong there and caused me to have to go back to where I belong. So they, I'll be honest with you, it was exhausting. Like she was having a blast. She was like, whoa. And I was like, I just want to go. I just want to leave. So about halftime, this couple comes down and sure enough, we're in their seat. And I'm like, you know what? That's what you get. You know, I mean? like <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know? She's like, at least we got to watch half the game from here. I'm like, but we're going to hell now. Like, you know what I'm like that, That's bad. So we marched 437 steps back up to our seats, right? And we sat down, and I was at such peace. I can't even explain to you. Like, the seats were terrible, but I was happy as could be because I was sitting where I belonged. I was never concerned on whether or not somebody was going to come along and tell me, hey, based off of what you have, you don't belong here. And this is what happens when we believe that how we behave determines if we belong. We constantly walk through life exhausted, wondering when are we not going to add up enough? When is somebody going to come along and tell us that because of what we've done, we no longer belong? And so every time somebody who loves the Lord by, we go, hey, is this your, you need to stay here? Yeah, I'll go back here. And it's exhausting. But when I got to where I belonged, that worry was gone. And when we can truly grasp, listen to me, when we can truly grasp that we do not belong because of behavior, but we belong because of birthright, when we understand that we belong because of the blood, When we understand that we belong in this seat, there is a freedom about us. All that anxiety is removed. All that fear is removed. And we don't walk around wondering, when am I going to mess up and get kicked out of my seat? We understand I'm not here because I've done good. I'm here because God is good. And so it doesn't matter what happens. I belong. I don't have to worry. I belong. And when we get the right perspective of the Father, watch this. Our behavior does shift. But it doesn't shift in order to belong. It shifts because of already belonging. We're not trying to change that we can belong. We just change because we belong. Because we're around his presence and we read his word and we're challenged by the Holy Spirit and we found out we belong. So we started to believe. And the more we believed, the more it impacted how we behaved. Now, I was reading through Luke 15 again, and it said that he got a robe and a ring and sandals. Now, the robe and the ring made sense to me. I think I'm going to preach next week on the robe of righteousness. We're going to talk about that. You don't want to miss that. But the robe and the ring made sense to me because they're. They're royalty type items. You know what I mean. Like you would see a king with a robe and ring and all that kind of stuff. The sandals threw me off. You know, like this ain't this isn't today where he would have got like some Jordans or something. You know, like they were just sandals. And so I was like, why is that a big deal for the father to give him sandals? And then as I did more studying, I realized, watch this: that servants didn't have shoes. If you were barefoot, you were a servant. If you had shoes. You were a part of the family, right? So you were identified. That was one of the ways that you could be identified as a servant or a son, whether or not you have shoes. So then I start studying that some more. Okay, son shows up. He, he starts to talk. And watch this. Remember when he said at the beginning, I said this to you, uh, I want to be one of your hired servants. Remember that? So I started thinking about it a little more. And a hired servant means he has a job which means he's earning his money. So when the son shows up, here's what he's saying. Dad, I want to earn your love back. I want to be a servant. I didn't bring shoes because I'm prepared to work so that once again I can belong. And the father went and got shoes to let him know, hey, look, you're not coming to work. You already belong. Because you're my son. My dad, he's a painter, contractor. And during the summer when I'd get out of school, he'd take me to work with him. And I was so excited because I was going to make some money. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's, that's what you do when you go to work with your parents. You're making, you know, give me a little bit of money. Give me 20 bucks, whatever it might be. And I was so terrible at the jobs he would give me. Just to give you an idea, I told a few people this story when we were renovating this building. He, he had a, he, he's a painter, mostly a painter. He had one of those paint trays, and it was laying on a woman's, but he was so good he didn't use paint cloth he would just roll it he he get stuff it was amazing and i decided that one day i'd go running through the living room where he had that paint it was smart for me to just jump over that paint thing right that just made sense to me and so as i did it the back of my heel caught that pan and flipped all that paint over on that woman's carpet right yeah it was bad so that was how, that was the average uh, concept of me working with my dad. I would go, he'd give me a task, I'd ruin it, and he would take away the task. You know what I mean? It's just how you would like, just go sweep for an hour. But then we'd leave the job site, and we'd be headed home. And we'd get home, and he'd pull out his wallet, and he'd pick out 20 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever it was, and he'd give me money. And, and it never, it never really clicked to me. I'm 37 years old, I was 13, 14 years old then. So 20 plus years. It never clicked to me. I never thought about it until I was prepping this message and the Holy Spirit brought that back to me. He said, isn't it funny that you were still getting rewards not because of what you did, but because of who you were. Not because you actually did any work to earn it, but because you were his son. That's the message of the gospel. That we belong not because, Keon, not because we know how to behave. At your best behavior, still going. We don't belong because we know how to behave. We belong because we are his children. And the more we grasp that. And the more we believe it, y'all were singing, uh, I don't know if you were, I was singing it, the, he is for you, he is for you. I was chanting that, ah, he's for me, ah, he's for me. And all of a sudden, Andre hit that, ah, I can't sing, sorry, amen. And I, when they hit amen, in my spirit, I said, y'all don't even know what you're saying. Because amen means so be it. You're putting an exclamation point Bold underlined under the fact that He is for you, that He's for you, that you belong, that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of God, not because of how you behave, because of the fact of what Christ did. And when you start to believe that, I guarantee you it will impact the way you behave. Now, listen, I feel like I need to say this before we close. If you hear this the wrong way, you'll say under your breath, it sounds like God is rewarding bad behavior, right? And as a parent, for those of you that are parents, you know we do not reward bad behavior. do it with my kids all the time. If you do that, you don't get this. It makes sense. I understand it. And when we read Luke 15, if we make the mistake, we think that's what we're seeing. But let me tell you something. The Bible says the son came back to the father. I remember I told you all this a few weeks ago. He starts into his I blew it speech. And he's like, father, I've sinned against you. You know, da, 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 da. And and the father interrupted him because he was about to say, I want to be one of your hired servants. He was about to say, I want to earn back your love. And so the father stopped him. Stopped him right there. But watch. He did let him say something. He did let him say, Father, I've sinned against you. He did let his son repent. So watch. He's not rewarding bad behavior, he's rewarding repentance. How great is that? He's rewarding the attitude of, Can't do this. I've tried. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I messed up. I just, I made a mistake. I need you. And he rewards repentance. For some of us, every time we hear the message of grace, we hear somebody else saying, you can't reward bad behavior. And so when we hear the message of grace, we reject the message of grace because we don't believe it could be true. But grace follows repentance. All we have to do Say, Father, I'm sorry. I tried it, and I couldn't do it. And grace comes. But you're never not belonging. My seven-year-old, Casey Ray, does a lot of stupid stuff. I've shared that with y'all often. But she's so adorable, you know what I mean? And she'll do something, and I'll be like, you're not getting candy. You're not getting air. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, oh, I'm so mad at her. And, and all my parents, you can, you can testify to this. Let them walk in and say, Daddy, Mama, I'm sorry. You're like, oh, <laughs> here you go. You can have it all. Why? Because them messing up never meant that they no longer belonged. Right? But repentance meant now we can get back to blessing. That's the gospel. That's the message of Father. He's for you. He's behind you, beside you. He's in front of you in the morning, in the evening, in your morning, in your rejoicing. He is, everybody say it, for you. He's for you. Amen. So be it. He's for you. Worship team, come here real quick. I want to give us an opportunity, and then I want to like exclamation point it with a little bit of worship. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us all the opportunity to repent. I want to give everyone in here the opportunity to say, Father, I can't do this without you. I'm sorry. I've been trying to do it without you. I've been believing that because of my behavior, I don't belong, and so I've run far away from you as I possibly can. This never fails, y'all. When we think we can't behave, we think the solution is to get as far away from the Father as possible. Let's go to a distant country. The solution is to get as close to the Father as you possibly can so that you can remember that you belong, so that you can learn to believe, so then it can have an impact on how you behave. So everybody stand with me for a moment. just want to give you this moment, give you this opportunity. Do me a favor, just close your eyes. I I don't know your situation. This may not even be the message for you, but I know my life, and I know that on a daily basis, I need this moment where I can just say, Father, I'm sorry I tried to do it without you. I repent, Father, and I need you. And I just think for some of us in here, it's time to come back to where we belong. You belong as a son and a daughter. You belong in royalty. You belong in the presence of the Father but you're so concerned with how you behave that you can't believe that you belong. And I'm telling you right now that the gospel says you already belong. Now let the Father minister to your heart and help us impact the way we behave. So Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. I pray for the person whose theology has had them believing the way they behave means they don't belong. And so, Father, they've been overwhelmed by sadness, by guilt, by shame, that you would set them free right now, that they would understand that they belong despite their behavior. They belong because of your behavior, because of what Christ did on the cross. For the one that's here today that's been kind of running away from you, it's been a while since they've been in your presence. It's been a while since they've read your word. It's been a while since they talked to you. And that guilt in the back of their mind, Begins to say, oh, he doesn't want to hear from me. I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be in his presence. And, Father, what you're saying is, come on home. In the prodigal story, you ran to the son. You ran to him. For the person in this room that's ever accepted you as their Savior, Father, I pray right now they would do that. The Bible says we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that Christ died for our sins, that because of his behavior we belong. says that we're saved. I pray for the one right now that's been grown up in religion. That for the longest thought that they belonged with servants because they didn't behave like a son. I pray for freedom right now. Now here's what I want to challenge you to do in your own way, however you do it, would you just do me a favor and would you just take a moment to repent to the Father? Say, Father, I'm sorry for trying anything on my own. Father, I'm I'm, I'm sorry for ever allowing my mistakes to distant me from you. And I pray right now that you would just come into my life, come into my situation. Embrace me. Help me with my theology to understand that, Father, you are for me. Come on and receive that this morning. Receive that this morning. You need to say to him, that's between you and him right now. If you've never been saved, right now is your moment to say, Father, I believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I pray that he would be my Savior. I pray that you would help me live for him. Revelation of your word, Father. And then, God, we get to, we get to underline and bold this prayer with this song, with this, this prophetic word as we sing, that you're for us, that you're not against us that you're beside us, behind us, and in front of us, that whether it's morning or evening, whether we're praising you or mourning a situation, you're with us, Father, and you're for us.